This week on Physio Foundations, I'm talking to the one and only Ebony Rio about her career pathway from physiotherapy student to being an internationally recognized practitioner, educator, and researcher. Welcome to the Physio Foundations podcast, a podcast about knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. I'm your host, Luke Periton from Monash Uni Physiotherapy and Periton Physio. And this week I'm talking to none other than Ebony Rio from La Trobe University. So Ebony will be really well known to many of you already as a world leading researcher with many highly cited and highly discussed papers in the area of tendinopathy and pain. Ebony's also a physio educator. So she's taught on many courses for clinicians alongside other well-known tendinopathy educators and researchers. And she also does university teaching. She teaches in a number of physio courses, including with us at Monash Uni and at La Trobe University where she's based. And on top of all that, Ebony is also a highly experienced practitioner herself, having worked with many sports teams. So she's been a sports physio in many high profile roles, including the Commonwealth Games, Youth Olympics, Paralympics, Cirque du Soleil, musical theatre with Disney's Lion King show. That must have been exciting. And lots of other athletes and people she's worked with, including the Victorian Institute of Sport. So this is actually just a short list of Ebony's interests and achievements. There's so much more to talk about. So let's get her on now to tell us a bit more. Ebony Rio, welcome to Physio Foundations. Goodness me. Thank you for that introduction. I might get you to just walk in front of me next time my kids come home and introduce me to my kids and see if they're impressed. That's I'm right. sure they won't be. <laughs> it's different. It's the work persona, isn't it, at home? And yep, if only you could get some cred on the streets and with the family <laughs> exactly. for all the stuff you do at work. Um, thanks, Ebony, again. Thanks for coming on and having a chat with me. I know you're really busy. So how are you, first of all? I'm great. Thank you. And thanks for having me. It's it's wonderful to offer this um, resource for, you know, young physios. Brilliant. Love it. Yeah. And as I was saying just to you in the chat before we go on and um, before we press the record button, I mean, the purpose of this podcast is you know, career personal development for not only physio students or early career physios, but anyone who's interested. And, you know, we're exploring that foundation of expertise from you know, it could be as specific as the knowledge and skills that you think are really important for, a, you know, assessment or a treatment or managing people or all, all the way through to just the pathway you've walked and, you know, career mentoring. So, I mean, you're already really well known to a lot of listeners. And did I miss anything in my intro? And can you tell, perhaps tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do and where you've worked and where you're currently based, perhaps anything I've missed? Sure. Um, so... I'm currently super lucky. I spread my time across being a physio and working in research and doing some teaching. And I think I'm a little bit like the kid on the taco ad, like, why can't I have it all? Because I don't want to choose just one. Um, I love being a physio, but I think I'm a better physio for doing the research and the teaching and especially the teaching and the student mentorship because man, they don't let you get away with anything because they've read the latest papers. So they keep you on your game, which is actually fantastic. Um, so uh, I work at the Australian Ballet at the moment and the Victorian Institute of Sport, which are two amazing organisations with amazing clinicians and athletes and dancers. And I just, I'm so privileged. I learn so much. And as you said, I work at La Trobe and then do some other little bits and pieces um, teaching in and around, in and around, but yeah, that's me. 
How is working with dancers compared to other athletes? That has, is that new for you? You've been you've done some work with Cirque du Soleil and you've done your musical theatre. How does it differ from you know court and sport athletes and so how's your um, winter sport? Yeah, no, it's a really good point. So I I've consulted for Cirque, but I never actually travelled with them. So Charlotte did some wonderful stuff with Cirque, but I travelled with um, the Lion King for eighteen months, which was amazing, um, and that was a mix of. Um, performers, you know, dancers and singers and lots of different roles and cast and crew. And that was a, a wonderful way of jumping into the fire. The The dancers at the Australian Ballet are amazing. They have the most incredible knowledge of anatomy and they'll often, you know, come in and tell you exactly what's wrong. They're, they're just, they're brilliant and they're, they're beautiful at what they do. They work incredibly hard. They're some of the strongest athletes that I work with. Um, so it's this perception that uh, they're just very bendy. They're very bendy, but exceptionally strong, which allows them to, you know, go through those ranges of motion and, and stay safe. Um, you know, they're so different from the winter sport athletes. So, you know, the bobsleigh athletes compared to, you know, the aerials. That's one of the things that's so great about being a physio is there's just so many avenues, even within sport, but even within physio. I like to say to new grads, if you don't like your job, change your job. You don't have to change your career because there's just so many wonderful avenues for physio to keep you interested. Yeah, and that's what I want to explore. So how did you first get interested in being a physio? And I guess I, I want to take listeners to that journey of you being a sports physio rather than just talk about the all the achievements and things you've done. And that's that's interesting, but it's more how you got there. So So in I was I was thinking about this this morning. I don't know why I was thinking about this, but I had a very let's call it balanced attitude to life in year 11 and year 12. So I didn't study like a nerd. I played a ton of basketball. I did a ton of sport. And so my, my um, oldest son's just been given his first sort of homework and he's trying to work out when he's going to fit it in. And that was sort of me growing up because I would prioritize, you know, well, Monday night I've got basketball training. Can I squeeze in any homework? So and I also didn't know what I wanted to do. And so when I left year 12, I went into a Bachelor of Applied Science at um, Deakin in human movement. And that was actually fantastic because I learned the fundamentals of exercise prescription and motor control and physiology. So I actually don't regret it, even though it was an extra three years and, you know, a big hex bill. And then after I finished I um, applied for physio and back then you had to do the full degree. There was no master's um, sort of pathway into the qualification. So I did the full four-year degree and I got one credit. So my entire undergraduate um, gave me one credit into physiology. But again, I don't regret it because the the anatomy and, and the level of detail, I didn't have that in, in applied science. So that was great. And I remember um, someone gave us a lecture when we first started and said, everyone wants to do sport, don't do sport, pick something else. And I thought, bugger you, I'll do sport if I want to do sport. Like what a ridiculous thing to tell young physio students. Like, oh, don't strive for the thing you might be really passionate about. I disagree. Strive for exactly what you're passionate about. Be open to other things. I loved neuro. I could easily have have done neuro. Um, and I still, I think that's why I circle back to some of the neuroscience now with my research because I'm a little bit of a neuro nerd. Um, so I did uh, physio um, 
did my undergraduate at La Trobe and then back then no one really went straight into private practice. It's quite different. We didn't have a lot of exposure into private practice. It was very hospital focused. So I worked at um, Monash Medical Centre as a rotating um, new grad, which was fantastic. I learned so much. Um, and But I sort of wanted to know what else was out there. And so I just started putting my finger in little pies. So I, I volunteered with uh, Victorian Gymnastics with Wendy Brabon, actually. Um, and she allowed me to come down to uh, the VIS gym, Gymnastics on a Tuesday and just watch. And that was fantastic and just great experience working with her. And then I started working in private practice a little bit just on a Wednesday night for a bit because I wasn't confident enough to transition all the way and a little bit on a Sunday. And my, pers- my first poor patient that I had, it was a boring old quad strain, but I was so worried that I'd miss something like a femoral stress fracture that I kept this poor guy for much longer than I should have. It was terrible. But I was just so unsure of myself and, and my clinical knowledge. I was still, you know, doing footy training, um, with at a local footy club, you know, just with friends for fun. So I was doing a ton and none of it with this big career goal, like none of it with a five-year plan. I'm so not a planner. I don't even know what I'm having for dinner tonight, Luke. And so people that say, oh, you need a plan, that's good if that works for you. But what I'm trying to get across is is you don't need to. Sometimes it's okay to do things you really love because you're not sure how it will all come together. And for me, it came together when I was offered, I was asked to apply for the Lion King position. And I thought, oh my God, I've been out for 18 months. I know nothing. Why on earth would they get me? And what I realized when non-physios are interviewing physios they actually assume that we can all physio. So they're actually not interrogating your clinical skills because other people think, oh, but you're a physio, so you can do it. So they didn't see me here and someone else really high. They wanted the person that was going to fit into that role. They were looking for the soft skills and the non-clinical skills, how you communicate, um, whether or not you panic in a situation. That's what they were looking for. And I realized that um, working in a footy club, meant that they knew I could handle trauma situations, big groups, prioritize, you know, working at the gymnastics, they realized I could work with bendy people and high forces, you know, so everything I'd done, they they actually saw the skills. So it wasn't that, oh, you've never worked in musical theater before, you won't have a clue. They actually saw that I could transfer those skills So I did that for 18 months. It was amazing. We did Melbourne and Shanghai. And then at the end of that, I applied for the postgrad scholar position up at um, AIS. And it was the third time I'd applied. I'd been unsuccessful twice. And I thought, I'm not applying again. And I got it. And so I went up to Canberra with the amazing Craig Purdom, Professor Craig Purdom. Um, And that was just the most incredible experience being up there, you know, with the likes of Peter Blanche and, you know, Fiona and Ivan Hooper and, and just legends of physiotherapy. Yeah, and I just, amazing. Yeah. oh God, I just tried to suck them drive knowledge. That was my whole goal up there. And, you know, I'm 
I'm a massive oversharer and I don't even remember your question because I'm like, blah, 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 blah. So that feel would, free to interrupt me. <laughs> I won't because you've done a brilliant summary of really what we want to explore here, which is the really honest summary of your pathway. And so, you know, when you said you were unsure of your clinical knowledge, that's going to resonate with a lot of people listening to this. At least I hope it does. You've almost touched on a theme from almost all of the episodes I've done so far. This is number 10, um, you know, including, you know, so Pete Maliaris was talking about don't be too confident with your own abilities. And Matt Pryor in the last episode was also talking about the benefits of a rotating role versus going into private practice. So look, there's so much in that answer for everyone. I really appreciate that. Let's talk about being a physiotherapist now, the skills from your perspective. I mean, you can answer this any way you possibly like because it's such an open question. So what do you think are the most important knowledge and skills for a physio, potentially a sports physio or a physiotherapist in general? I'm going to say number one has to be communication. And that includes both your ability to listen, but also um, deliver and engage with your patient or your athlete. Because if you can't do that, you could have the world's best treatment plan and you won't be able to enact it you won't have the support and the engagement of, um, you know, the coaching staff and and the other service providers. So communication is key because um, so many things, I think, springboard off that. I think, you know, and you said that Peter touched on not being overconfident. I, I agree, knowing your own limits. And if you don't um, have skills in an area, go and get them or go and find someone that does. So don't be scared to have different mentors in your life. Every day is a school day, you know, go and keep learning um, and keep getting better. So, you know, Luke, I hate the shoulder and I'm like, I'm 42. Should I just not worry about anything above the waist? And I thought, no, that's pathetic. So I'm going to start shadowing Ali Lowe at VIS, who's a specialist because she's a gun in shoulders because I'm going to suck it up and, um, learn something above the waist. There you go. Maybe. Everyone, Ebony Rio is going to shadow someone and learn and learn every day and never stop learning. So if, you know, if she can take that attitude, you can too, especially as an early career clinician or student. And, you know, um, so seeking mentors, that's, that's something that, you know, that's really important as well. I want to go back to a point you made really earlier, um, early on. And it was when you said you had a balanced attitude in, you know, leading into your studies that came up in an earlier conversation as well with um, McHugh's and Randall Cooper who were on and they were talking about, you know, their backgrounds and, and there was balance in their lives, they did a lot of sports and, and it wasn't just cramming in knowledge and studying, it was balanced and, you know, bringing your professional and your personal experience together to help people. Um, so that was interesting that you brought up, you touched on that point as well. What about, um, Specifically, if we talk about, say, communication, that really covers everything. What about, say, physical examination skills or even foundational knowledge? You mentioned anatomy before and the, you know, the high level of anatomical knowledge in the dancing physio crew. What, what knowledge and skills do you think you, apart from communication, that you use every day and you would find really important? Yeah, I think um – I think we have to make sure as physios, we don't lose our amazing ability to diagnose. So one of the reasons, Luke, that I um, wanted to branch out from working in the hospital 
um, to working in private practice was because I wanted to be a I wanted that primary role of being a first contact practitioner and needing to diagnose and use my brain and actually um, unravel the mystery and put all the pieces of the puzzle together. I love that. I, I love that clinical challenge. And you don't get a lot of that in the hospital because people, you usually not the per- first person they've seen unless you're in ED, you're often given, you're given the diagnosis and you're a really important part, but you're often not doing that. And I missed that. So what I would say is your foundation skills of understanding the anatomy, physiology, and load principles are critical. So I'm going to give you a tendon example because I love tendons. So in the Achilles, it's so critical you can differentiate tendinopathy from peritendinitis because they're managed differently. So if your approach to musculoskeletal pain is movement is good and you know we we forget the the differences in biology if we go right away from any considering any biology in biopsychosocial and you go no moving's good and it creates endorphins you actually miss the point because for someone with tendinopathy calf raises are critical in their um in their rehab, for someone that's irritated the sheath, so the sliding and gliding membranes outside of the tendon, calf raises are actually their provocative load. So telling them to, you know, you know keep swimming, keep cycling, you know, activity is good and, and, and trying to coach them through that model, you miss the point. So don't forget your biology and don't forget your assessment skills to be able to differentiate the nitty gritty of, of clinical diagnoses, it's really, really important when it alters someone's treatment path and it often does. Mm. So that's a a nice segue into research. So you mentioned tendinopathy. Tell us how you got into a research career as well, because you've got the, um, you know, the triple threat, singing, dancing, acting, so clinical research and teaching going on. So that's fantastic. So what led you into, into an interest in research and specifically into tendinopathy? So um, in Latrobe back in the day, um, I won't tell you what year, but honours was embedded into the undergrad program. So you started in second year and I only applied for honours because my two best friends were really smart and I worked really hard to keep up with them and they were going to apply for honours. So I just applied and I got we all got in and I was put with um, Professor Jill Cook and um we were doing an intervention, nothing to do with tendons. We were doing an intervention program to reduce injuries in junior football, so in the EFL. And um, Jill has this amazing ability to get a lot out of you and make you realise or not realise how much you're doing until you've done it. So I ended up with two years of data collection, 781 people in my honours project. <laughs> like, okay. I would never recommend that to a student wow. now. Anyway, that's fine. So I did honours and I got to the end of physio and honours and Jill said, oh, would you be interested in doing any more research? And I said, oh, I don't want to do research. I want to help people. <laughs> and she said to me, and this stuck with me, Luke, if you are a physio, you can help the person in front of you. But if you're a researcher, you can help many Mm. And I'm like, and that stayed with me, but I, I still went away and did physio. I didn't want to go straight into research. And then I did my master's of sports physio in about, um, I don't know, I'm going to say 
2008. And then after I finished that, um, I just, you know, I practiced for a while and I just got itchy feet again. And I just thought, oh, what's next? I don't know what's next. And so every time I get itchy feet, I tend to enroll in something. And so I went and caught up with Jill because we stayed friends and I'd learned heaps about tendons from Jill over the years and from Perds up in Canberra. But my clinical interest in tendons are, that's what keeps me awake at night. When I was working up at the AIS and with track and field and women's basketball, if someone um, had a stress fracture or broke a bone or pulled a muscle, we could say to the coach and the athlete with absolute clarity, here's our rehab plan. It's evidence-based. Here's our timelines. Everyone's happy. Someone had tendinopathy and it was like, oh, let's not talk about it. How do we keep them going? Do we load them? Do we unload them? So even with the amazing contribution of Jill and Perds and others over the years, there was still so much we didn't know, particularly about managing them in season. So that was my real clinical interest. And so I came back to Melbourne, started chatting with Jill by chance. She was in the office beside um, Dr. Dawson Kidgel, who's a neuroscientist. And yeah, we just started talking about how we might investigate more about the, the cortical changes in tendinopathy. And that's sort of, yeah, that's how it came about. And then many papers and many trips around the world later, you're, you're still in that field and yeah, still more There's to do. So much still to do. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much to do. So, you Jill, know, we're just scratching the surface. Absolutely. So, and so you mentioned Jill. So, Jill's retirement. So, we wish Jill all the very best with retirement. And you were at her celebration, which was all over social media, as was um, Susanna. So, you, so Jill was a really strong mentor of yours. Um, do you have any other career mentors that have really helped you get to where you are and helping you at the moment? I do. And um, I'm realizing even more. So talk, I talked about, you know, communication and those soft skills and stuff. I'm realizing more and more that we might need as physios, not just professional development in our clinical um, role, but we actually might need some extra development in other areas if we want to progress through um, different organizations or even even just enhance our clinical practice no matter where you work. So I'm currently doing a leadership course. I'm doing the second level of a um, leadership course where we have a coach and I'm just really enjoying all the skills that I'm learning. It's, in, it's incredible. I'd recommend to anyone to do it. It's fantastic. My mentors, definitely Jill, um, Professor Craig Purdom, just I would speak to him a couple of times a week still. He's a great friend, but a great mentor to bounce off clinical ideas, um, non-clinical ideas, life ideas. So he's brilliant. Um, uh, Steve Hawkins, my boss at the VIS, is fantastic and a really wonderful mentor. Same with Dr. Sue White. Oh, I should have thought more about this because I'm going to regret not saying some people I'm sure, but no, that's okay. Yeah. We don't have to list everyone who's you know mm. been a mentor. And obviously there's, you know, there's hundreds of people who you've, you've worked with and you've, you know, you developed your career alongside. I think it was, it was, I'm glad I mentioned it because it's a really important point you made about mentoring and also leadership in the profession. And, you know, leadership doesn't just necessarily involve you know, being at the top of an organization and giving instructions, leadership. A lot of the leadership happens from below. And if your early career, uh, clinician or student listening to this and you're inspired by Ebony's work, and I know there's, there's lots of you out there, um, I'm sure that you'll take a lot from this conversation. 
you know what I wanted to ask you is, well, you've touched on so many of my questions without me having to ask them. How did you know? Um, I, I, I wanted to know, so you've touched on how um, your teaching and how your research inform your clinical work. And I think that's really important and how they're not separate entities. How do you balance? You see, so you've got a family, you've got research, teaching, clinical work, family life. How do you balance it all? Do you have any tips for people who are trying to do lots of things? Um. Oh, I'm probably a terrible person to ask because I think my motto is bite off more than you can chew and chew faster. And I don't think that's a good long-term strategy, <laughs> but um, I think I think it's really important to have life outside work um, because, you know, like my boys, my two boys that are seven and eight keep me completely grounded. They couldn't be less interested that I just got a paper published. Um, so I think life, and I'm not suggesting everyone goes out and has kids. There's lots of ways to keep your life balanced. Um, but, you know, I still play basketball and read books and, you know, try and run. And yeah, I, I think it is really important to have life outside, work really hard when you're working. And that was hard in lockdown because I think, work bled out into the whole day, but Mm. yeah, try and work hard when you're working, but play hard when you're, when you're not working. Um, and don't be afraid to delegate or tell people you can't get that done or people will have more respect for that than, you know, just not getting back to them at all. Sometimes we don't like having those challenging conversations, but actually they're worse because, People will have their own internal dialogue as to why you haven't done that. And it might be completely inaccurate, but they'll be running a story in their head. And so just having an upfront conversation about what you can and can't get done. And I'm I'm getting better at that. That's good advice for me personally. And I'm sure a lot of other people listening to this as well. You know, we, let's leave part one here because I've booked you in for part two and we're going to explore research. So if we've talked about your foundations and really what sets you up for, you know, being in the position you're in it's a really good position to then really talk and get into the weeds on tendinopathy and pain research and in the comfort zone, in the hitting zone. So Ebony Rio, thanks very much for coming on Physio Foundations and listeners stay tuned for part two. Thank you. 